We shall now turn to the chapter which we read together in our text for this evening. You'll find in verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Here we have a wonderful testimony of the Apostle Paul. He's now at the end of his life. This is his last epistle. True, there's Titus and Philemon after this, but they were written before. We see from chapter 4 how it is indeed the end of his life. He says... In chapter 4, verse 6, I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. Ready to be offered? His whole life was an offering to God. Here is the final act of offering, the pouring out of the drink offering, the oblation to the Lord. I am now ready to be offered the final act of the offering the time of my departure is at hand the boat is there I'm just about to step on it and then I'm away away from this earth to the promised land of heaven looking back he says I have fought a good fight I have finished my course I have kept the faith actually in the Greek The emphasis isn't so much on I. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. It's the other way around in the Greek. A good fight I have fought. A race I have run. The faith I have kept. The emphasis is on the greatness and the grandness and the glory of the fight and the race that is completed. And the faith that is kept. Paul is not boasting in this passage. And then look into the future. Now that he's about to die, about to be executed, what does he say? Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but also to all them that love his appearing. He looks back. He looks forward. And he looks forward with confidence and with assurance. He knows the one in whom he has believed. I know whom I have believed. He knows him. He knows him personally. He knows him intimately. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded, I'm fully sure of this, that he's able to keep that 
which I have committed unto him. I've committed my soul to him. And he will keep it against that day, the great day, the judgment day. I know my soul is safe in the hands of Christ. What a testimony. Will you and I be able to make such a testimony at the end of our lives? Will we too be able to say, I know him in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Well, first of all, tonight, I would like us to think of a man who has suffered greatly. Verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Now, Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, as he was known to begin with, he was a highly intelligent man, greatly motivated, very diligent. He had reached the top of his class. He was full of seal. Amongst his contemporaries, he was in the first position. He was a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were the straightest, strictest sect of the Jewish religion. So here he is, very motivated, very clever, a natural leader. On his way to the top, a Pharisee putting his trust in the law, keeping all the commandments outwardly and all the ritual of the Old Testament in every detail, he had no place for Jesus. He was going to make it to heaven on his own, like so many today too, who trust in their own works and see no need for the blood of Christ. And so he was a persecutor, of Jesus, the leaders of the Jews, the chief priests and the elders, they crucified Christ. And he too, just like them, saw Christ as a threat. Here was this person who was saying that harlots and thieves and publicans could get to heaven before the Pharisees. So he persecuted the church of Christ. And by doing that, he thought he was pleasing God. He went around arresting and killing Christians. And he thought God was delighted with what he was doing. That he was fighting for the true religion, as he saw it. And thinking that he pleased God, he set off for Damascus in order to arrest the Christians in Damascus. But on the way, he met the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was converted. And what a change. What a huge change took place. And immediately he begins to preach the gospel, which he once persecuted. Preaching there in Damascus. And preaching with such conviction and such authority was somebody who had studied the scriptures well. He had been trained in the best schools in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel. He knew his Bible and now 
The light was switched on. He had received the key to understand the Old Testament. And of course he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so in the power of the Holy Spirit he began to preach. And as he preached many were convicted. Some repented and were converted. But others convicted hated him for this conviction. And they sought to slay him. So he escaped from Damascus one night in a basket on a rope let down over the wall of the city. And he made his way up to Jerusalem. And there, there he began to preach too. And he preached again with such conviction, such authority, such understanding, that before long he became the marked man. And the apostles realized that he was going to be executed, martyred. So they sent him off to his hometown of Tarshish in Cilicia. After a while there, you remember how the gospel had come to Antioch and Barnabas went to Antioch and then from Antioch he went to Tarshish to get Paul to to help him. And Paul came to Antioch and for a whole year was preaching there and then from there the various missionary journeys began. He went out preaching all over the Middle East and then crossed over to Macedonia and into Greece and as far as Illyricum, modern Albania. Later on he was to go to Malta and eventually to Rome with the gospel. How he laboured for the Lord, how diligent he, he was, how hard working he was. And all the time so hated by his fellow men. For which, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 about some of his sufferings. I can only mention a few of them. Talks about his labors. Oh, how diligent he labored for the Lord. Talks about his stripes, the lashes he received. Talks about his imprisonments often. Not just once or twice. Many a time he was thrown into prison. Of the Jews, he says, five times received I forty stripes, save one. The law said you're not allowed to lash a person more than forty times. So the Jews would give a person, a really wicked person, they'd give them thirty-nine stripes in case they went over the forty. And five times on different occasions, the Apostle Paul received 39 lashes. He tells us, three times I was beaten with rods. Just imagine it. Beaten with a stick three times. One time he was stoned. Stoned so badly that he was left for dead. He suffered three shipwrecks. A day and a night, he said, he spent in the deep, floating, swimming, thinking of drowning, keeping on going. Well, actually, he suffered four shipwrecks because after this epistle was written, he suffered another shipwreck on his way to Rome as a prisoner when he was shipwrecked on the island of Malta, Melita. Imprisonments, lashes, beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked. 
in weariness and painfulness, in hunger and thirst, in cold and nakedness. And all the time the care and burden of the churches, all these churches that he planted, hundreds of churches in different places, and they all looked to him as their their father, their leader, and they came to him with their problems. And you just look at the church at Corinth and you think of what a multitude of problems he had to deal with. Fornication in the church, drunkenness at the Lord's Supper, divisions and party spirit, all kinds of problems, disorderly services when everyone was jumping up and wanting to say their own bit, all sorts of problems. He had the burden of all these resting upon him. He suffered so greatly. He had a hard life. He endured terrible persecution, hatred by his fellow countrymen whom he loved, and all the time also he had the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet him. What was the thorn? Was it malaria, something? Was it blindness, as some others think? What was it? We don't know. It doesn't matter, but it was something horrible, and he wanted rid of it. And he prayed earnestly three times that the Lord would deliver him from it. But God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. You need the thorn, lest you be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations given to you. So there was Paul, a man who suffered greatly. Was there ever anyone who suffered as much as Paul? Well, the Lord Jesus, he suffered more because he suffered hell, real hell, on the cross. He suffered what no ordinary man could endure. And he was enabled, sustained by the Holy Spirit. But excluding Jesus, surely there was nobody who ever suffered as much and endured as much and laboured so much and was hated so much as Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, a man who suffered greatly. And the next thing we notice here is that he was a man who was not ashamed. For which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. He suffered so much, yet he wasn't ashamed. He was despised and ridiculed and mocked and abused and beaten up and thrown in dungeons. Yet he was not ashamed. He was somebody who could have attained the highest position in his nation. He had sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the leading rabbi. He himself had, could, had, could have become another Gamaliel. He was so gifted, so able. But he ends up loathed by the Jews. Yet he's not ashamed. Actually, the very opposite. 
He's proud of being a Christian. Proud to suffer for Christ. And he boasts of his afflictions. Not in an evil way. But rejoicing in the Lord. Who, suffer, who saved him, the chief of sinners. <clears throat> Jesus said, The one who is ashamed of me in this life, I will be ashamed of them on the day of judgment. But Paul was not ashamed of him. Remember what Paul said to the Romans? Romans chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed. I'm very proud, actually, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's the best thing ever. There's nothing like it. There's nothing so amazing as the gospel of Christ. It's so wonderful. It lays hold of the worst of sinners and transforms them into saints. It's the power of God unto salvation. Taking thieves and taking robbers and taking drunkards and taking drug addicts and taking criminals of every description and taking hypocrites, and taking Pharisees, and transforming them into children of God, beautiful, delightful saints. That was the Apostle Paul, not ashamed of the gospel, glorying in his infirmities, and proud to suffer for the sake of Christ. He wasn't seeking suffering, but he wasn't ashamed to suffer for Jesus. Peter and John, Acts chapter 5, do you remember how they were beaten by the Sanhedrin? Beaten up. Possibly something that's never happened to you. Beaten up just because they loved Jesus. And when they left the council, they rejoiced that they were worthy to to suffer shame for the sake of Christ. Counted worthy to suffer for Christ. That's an amazing attitude to suffering. Rejoicing in being counted worthy to suffer. The Lord allowed them the privilege of suffering. The privilege of suffering alongside the crucified Christ. Paul says something quite amazing in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. He says that he fills up that which remains of the sufferings of Christ for his body's sake, which is the church. Christ has left some sufferings behind for his church. Not sufferings of the atoning kind. We don't earn salvation by our sufferings. But sufferings in which we have fellowship with Christ and his cross. And Paul saw himself as filling up that which remained 
of the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. He suffered for the church and he was happy to suffer for the church. He's not ashamed of Christ. Are you ashamed of Christ? Ashamed to suffer for him? Ashamed to stand on his side? Afraid of being mocked or ridiculed or laughed at? Will you stand for Jesus? Or will you not? A man who suffered greatly and a man who was not ashamed. But thirdly, we have here a man who knows God. For which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. Many people profess to be Christians, but they don't really know God. They're following a tradition. They're doing what their parents did. Maybe they're Roman Catholics and they go to confession every week and to chapel, to mass every Sunday. Maybe they're Eastern Orthodox or maybe they're Protestant, liberal Protestant. They've been taught certain practices. There's certain rules that they keep, certain duties that they perform certain church services that they attend. They do it because they've been taught it, but they don't really know God. They have no personal knowledge. They know a little about God. But you know, there's a huge, huge difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Paul says here, I know him in whom I have believed. I remember many years ago in the 1970s, a book came out written by Jim Packer, which made quite an impact, especially in student circles. It had the simple title, Knowing God. And it was making this very point. You need to have a knowledge of God that involves a personal relationship with him. You could know about Prince Charles, King Charles, but it's quite a different thing to know him personally, isn't it? To have a relationship with him. And so it is with God. We can know things about him. But do you know him? Have you got to know him? Have you entered into a relationship with him? There was the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor, on the Damascus Road in order to persecute the church when suddenly there's a bright light from heaven And a voice says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. 
And Saul cried out, Who art thou, Lord? Who are you? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And then he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He had met Jesus. And his life would never be the same again. Transformed through meeting Christ. That's real conversion. That's the new birth. A new creation in Christ Jesus. And a totally new life begins. One time dead in trespasses and sins. Dead to God. Dead to spiritual things. Dead to the Christian life. But now... He's resurrected. He's alive. Alive to God. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespass and sins. That was your life in time past. But now you're new men and new women in Christ Jesus. He had come to know him. And from that day on he got to know him more and more and more. You can imagine him. That day and night that he spent floating in the sea and swimming in the sea. How he would be relating to God, praying to God in the midst of the waves and the danger of drowning. Just imagine a whole day and night in the sea relating to God. Or think of him in prison in Philippi. He's just been beaten up. He's wounded all over, cut and bruised and battered. And then his feet are put in the stocks. There's no hope of sleeping. And there he is in the middle of the night in the darkness. And what's he doing? Praying and singing praises to God. I know him in whom I have believed. I met him on the Damascus road. I knew him in the prison dungeon in Philippi when my feet were in the stocks. He gave me joy in the midst of my suffering and my pain. Or think of him in the storms on the Mediterranean on the way to Rome as a prisoner. After long abstinence, Paul stood out in the midst of them and said, the God whom I serve has appeared to me. His angel has come and told me that we will be shipwrecked on a certain island and every life in the boat will be saved, but the boat will be lost. He was one who knew his God and wrestled and prayed with his God. Whom I, whose I am and whom I serve. And then again in chapter 4, we find verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me. Standing there before the emperor, before Caesar, at my first answer, I was alone. Not a friend, not a fellow labourer with him. No lawyer to help him plead his case. At my first answer, no man stood with me. 
But all men forsook me. I pray God that it be not laid to their charge. Notwithstanding. The Lord. The Lord stood with me. And strengthened me. That by me the preaching might be fully known. And that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. There he was on his own before Caesar. But no, he wasn't on his own. Does the Lord leave any on his own in the midst of trials and tribulations? When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou goest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. That's the sort of God we have who will never leave us nor forsake us. My God is my helper. Why should I be afraid? Daniel in the lion's den. Oh, what presence of the Lord he had there. What a wonderful night he had of the Lord's presence. The Lord with him in the den of lions. For which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. I know him. I know whom I have believed. Christianity in its truest and best form. In its only real form involves a relationship, a love relationship. It starts with conversing and it goes on through your life till that day when he says, come up a little higher. Some of you have been married maybe 40, 50 years. When you first got married, you knew your husband and wife uh, a little bit, yes. You were in love with them, you came together, you got married. But as the years have rolled by, you've got to know them better, haven't you? More and more and more. I find now that I, I often say something, or my wife says something, and then we say, well, I was just about to say that. We say the same things, we think the same things. More and more we become, as it were, like one another. Is that not the way it is in marriage? A growing relationship of love <coughs> and understanding and appreciation and delight in one another. How much more in our relationship with Christ? I know whom I have believed. Do you know him? Are you growing in grace and in knowledge? In grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. A man who knows God. Next, a man who trusts God. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He knows him. And he's a man who 
trusts God, whom I have believed, in whom I put my trust. What is faith? Faith is receiving and embracing the Lord Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. A saving grace, an unmerited gift from God, whereby you receive Christ, you embrace Christ, you take him into your heart, you take him as your own, you delight in him, you commit yourself wholly to him. That's faith, casting yourself upon him. You receive him into your heart. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. And by grace, you've been enabled to open that door. And he's come in and he's dwelt with you and he's eaten and drunk with you. He lives in your heart. He's taken his residence up there. And now your heart is the temple the temple of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ who dwells in you, Christ in us, the hope of glory. I know whom I have believed. He's come to, I've come to trust in him, to commit myself to him. In one sense, faith is taking Christ into your heart. In another sense, it's you being taken into the heart of Christ, committing, giving your heart, your life to him. We come to know him at conversion. Our eyes are opened. We see our own wretched, sinful condition, our lost condition, and we see Christ as the only hope, the only answer. Our eyes have been opened by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And by grace, we receive him and he receives us. We see the light. We trust in Christ who is the light of the world. We put our trust in him and daily we put our trust in him, daily repenting, And believing. I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. Have you believed? Have you trusted? Have you committed your heart to Christ? Have you received him into your life? Is he your only hope? Can you say with the apostle, Christ is everything to me. To me, to live is Christ. To die is gain, because then I'll be with Christ forever. A man who trusts God, trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ for his soul's salvation. He trusted there in Damascus, and he's gone on trusting all his life. And here he is at the end of his life about to be executed. And he says, I know him in whom I have believed. And then a man who is sure about his future, finally. Sure about his future. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him 
against that day. I know, I believed, and I'm persuaded. I'm sure of it. He's able, and he's willing. I've had many a trial in life, many an enemy I have had to face. Satan, the roaring lion, has stood against me. The great red dragon has sought to devour me. The wily serpent has sought to deceive me. The angel of light, as it were, has come at times. The one who could, if it were possible, deceive the very elect. But no, he is able to keep me. And whatever the trial, whatever the danger, I commit myself to him and I'm safe and I'm secure. I am persuaded that he is able to keep me. Although at times, yes, it can be frightening and overwhelming. And it seems as if we're sinking. And all around us there's darkness. Yet, through the darkness, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. The grace of God in the life of Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I know him in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He's able to do it. He's almighty. He's sovereign. There's no one that can oppose him. Through my God assisting me, I overleap a wall. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual, mighty through God to the overthrowing of strongholds. He's the God who cannot lie. I am the Lord that changes not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. He is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He will keep. He will keep that which I've committed to him. I've committed my heart to him, my soul to him, my life to him, my all to him. And he will keep me. He will keep me tomorrow, whatever tomorrow brings. He will keep me next year, whatever dangers and troubles come my way. He will keep me when death comes. He will keep me crossing over the Jordan River. He will keep me on the judgment day, kept by the power of God, through faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. How wonderful it is to be a Christian. You're kept. It's not a matter of you're so good at keeping yourself that you're saved because you're, you're so diligent and so faithful. Alas, the very best of us fail, fail in being diligent and faithful, but, but we're kept. We're kept by faith. We're kept by Christ who keeps everyone that trusts in him. None perish that him trust. How wonderful. None perish that him trust. I remember my mother-in-law as she was 
coming to the close of our life, sometimes troubled with assurance, but clinging to these words. So at the end of Psalm 34, none perish that him trust. Can you say that? I trust in him. I commit my soul to him. I know him. I depend upon him. He is mine and I am his. He has begun his good work in me and he himself has promised that where he has begun the good work, he will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. And in the day when I make up my jewels, not one of them will be lost. How wonderful it is to be a jewel. A jewel in the crown of Christ. How wonderful it is to be one of those who, though poor and needy sinners, depend on Christ alone. Look unto me and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none other. Put your faith in him. Take him as your saviour. Get to know him more and more. Let your assurance grow and grow and grow as the Spirit witnesses with your spirit that you're a child of God. More and more following the Lord, seeking him and serving him and committing your life to him. None perish who trust in him. Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, that we too would know him in whom we have believed and be persuaded that he is able to keep that which we have committed unto him against that day. We thank thee, O Lord, that thou hast begun thy good work in us. Bring it on, Lord. Leave us not to ourselves. Leave us not in the hand of the devil. Deliver us from the great enemy of souls, the liar, the deceiver, the destroyer. May we be kept by the power of God. We have no power in ourselves to keep us, but do thou be to us a wall of fire around us and the glory in our midst. Do thou engrave us upon the palms of thine hands. May our walls continually be before thee. Keep us, O Lord, kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our closing praise is Psalm 34. Psalm 34 and we'll sing verses 17 to 22. Psalm 34, verse 17. The righteous cry unto the Lord, he unto them gives ear, and they out of their troubles all by him delivered are. The Lord is ever nigh to them that be of broken spirit. To them he saved, he doth afford, that are in heart contrite. Verses 17 to 22. Cry unto the Lord.
prayer meeting on Thursday at 7.30. Reverend Dean Smith has had to cancel the services, so uh, Reverend Stuart Farms has kindly agreed to take the prayer meeting on Thursday. And the services next week at the usual times, 11am and 6.30. And Reverend John Angus Gillis has kindly agreed to take these services. We regret to intimate that Reverend Raymond Kemp has informed uh, Mr. McGlynn, the interim moderator, that he does not want uh, the process to call him to this congregation to proceed any further. Also, there will be no Sabbath school for the next two weeks because of the school holidays on TV. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit rest upon and abide with you all now and forevermore.